The passage this evening can be found on page 1008 on the Church Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sophie, for reading to us. Good evening, everyone. My name's Andrew. I'm the curate here. If we haven't met before, let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, you promise us that your word never returns to you empty, but always accomplishes your purposes. And so we pray that would be true among us tonight by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just pray I'd keep going, he said. I've got lockdown fatigue. I wonder if you've heard a prayer request like that one I heard this week. I wonder if you've been praying like that in recent weeks and months. We're going through testing times. We need endurance. It's hard. That's true for all of us, isn't it? I guess this week we start to figure out what it looks like to be in tier two and the new restrictions 
that that imposes upon us. It's, it's hard for all of us. But these are especially testing times for some of us, some in our church family, as David has just reminded us in the prayers, particularly struggling with loneliness and the effects of isolation at a time of social distancing. Some, the impact of the pandemic on employment, jobs hanging in the balance, some sadly lost already. A number in this church family dealing with issues of physical health in their immediate family or their wider family. Many facing the consequences on mental health of all that we're going through at the moment. We're living in testing times. How do we endure? How do we keep going? Hebrews 12, that Sophie's just read for us, gives us some answers about what God is doing in hard times. It's one of the clearest passages in the Bible that speaks about what God is doing for believers when times are hard. It won't answer all our questions, but given all we're going through at the moment, it's a timely word to us this evening. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian believer, I hope that as we explore this together, you'll see how radically knowing God through Jesus changes the way we approach trial and suffering and gives us great hope and strength to keep going. That's why this whole letter to the Hebrews was written, to keep Christians persevering with Jesus when times are hard. As we start, we just need to think about one word that came again and again in that reading. Perhaps you spotted it as Sophie read it to us, the word discipline. I wonder what comes into your mind when you think of discipline. Where does your mind picture? Perhaps you're back in school. Discipline, detention, isolation. If you're of a certain generation, the cane. Is that what you picture? Discipline doesn't have to be negative, though, does it? If you think not of school, think of sport. An athlete with a strict training regime, a carefully planned out diet. That's discipline. And discipline in Hebrews 12 is talking about something far bigger than, than just correction. It's talking about something much bigger and much more positive. It really means the whole package of bringing up a child to maturity. That's where the language comes from. It's, it's about instructing and guiding and helping and, yes, correcting as well. I think the word training might capture it best for us to get a handle on it. Discipline in Hebrews 12 terms is fatherly training so that a child lives well. That's discipline. If we get our heads around that, we can make sense of this passage. We're going to see tonight two ways we're called to endure through hard times. And here's the first, verses 3 to 11. Submit to our Father's training. Submit to our Father's training. These verses are speaking about times in life that are hard, times of trial. And many people ask, why does God allow those? Why does God allow his people to suffer? Couldn't God smooth the path of life in front of us? And surely he could. Why, why doesn't he remove the bumps? Hebrews 12 doesn't give us all the answers, but it gives us a very good start. Verse 7 is really the headline. Have a look down if you've got it in front of you. Verse 7, it is for discipline, for God's training of us through discipline, that you have to endure trials. That's how to see them. That's why there are bumps in the road on the path of life. They're the way God trains us. 
And instinctively, I think we find that hard to hear. And so this passage is full of encouragements to trust God to work through the trials. We're to submit to our Father's training because it shows us his love. In hard times, it's easy to think that God has forgotten about me. Has he turned against me? Does he not love me anymore? In fact, the very opposite is true. Let me read from verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Quoting from Proverbs 3, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's a passage speaking about both sons and daughters. Discipline is not the denial of love, It's the proof of it. I think every parent knows that. Disciplining, bringing up a child is an act of love. Training a child takes sustained, persistent, intentional, personal effort. Training a child when it's hard, we do it because we love them, because we value them as our children. And Hebrews 12 says that is how God treats us if we're his children, if we come to him through Jesus. Verse 7 says, God is treating us as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, verse 8, then you're illegitimate children, you're not sons. I don't try to train up the children who live on our street. I'm sure they're lovely, but I don't invest myself in their growth and their development and their maturity. I don't do that for the children on our streets. I do it for the children in my family. They're mine. They're the ones I bring up. This is right at the heart of the Christian faith, isn't it? The the good news that as we come to Jesus Christ, we're not just forgiven, wonderful though that is. We're loved. God doesn't just tolerate us in his presence somewhere in the corner if we keep quiet. He welcomes us into his family as the children he loves. That's why he trains us. It's for discipline. You have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. Submit to our Father's training because it shows his love. Submit to our Father's training because it's for our good. I'm conscious tonight that our experiences of being brought up by our parents will be very different. Some happy, some very unhappy. In principle, at least, though, we we know that parents are important for good or for ill. They matter, they influence us. That's what verse 9 is saying. They're there to discipline us. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us, verse 10, for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. So often as a parent bringing up children, I just feel clueless. Maybe I'm the only one. I'm probably not. I just don't know what's best. I'm gentle when I should be firm. I'm firm when I should be gentle. And then there are the mixed motives. It's hard to tell. Am I doing this because it's easiest for me or because it's best for them? Praise God, he is an infinitely better father 
than I am. A perfect father. He disciplines us for our good. He knows perfectly what that is. He never acts from mixed motives. He always disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. He's changing us to share his perfect character. He's transforming us to be like Jesus, our older brother. And that's what he's doing, even when we can't see or understand how that is happening in what we're going through at the moment. That's true with children and parents all the time, isn't it? Our eldest is three. He thinks he knows best. He doesn't. Sometimes there are things, decisions that I make that he simply cannot understand why. Because he's three. There are things I know that he cannot know yet. If that is true with children and parents, how much more is that true with us and our Father in heaven that we might not see any reason for what is going on in our lives? And yet, verse 11 says, he has a wonderful purpose for it. Have a look at verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness Painful now, fruitful later. Knowing that in hardship God is training us does not take the pain away from painful times. But if we're trusting Jesus, if we're, his, if we're God's beloved child, then painless times are not pointless times. Full of pain, yes, but full of purpose too even when we cannot see now what God is doing in them. Many Christians would testify that their greatest times of growth have been through their deepest times of trial. So often it seems we learn more in the, in the valley than we do on the mountaintops, that we grow more, we mature deeper in our griefs than in our joys. Someone was saying to me just this week how deeply God had shaped them in a very profound way through the experience of caring for an elderly parent towards the end of their life. We submit to our Father's training because it's for our good. But maybe we're not sure. We think, can I know? Is it really for my good? Does it really show his love? And Hebrews 12 says, yes, we can know. We submit to our Father's training because Jesus did. Have a look down at verse 3, the first verse Sophie read for us. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus, God's Son, suffered. He suffered unjustly at the hands of those who hated him. He experienced trial and suffering that you and I will never know. Depths of agony that you and I will never fathom. And if we ask why, Hebrews has told us. Chapter 2, verse 10. It was fitting that in bringing many sons to glory, God should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Hebrews 5 Verse 8, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. 
Jesus didn't have sin to grow out of as we do. He had obedience to grow into. And he did that through suffering. How did God our Father make Jesus the Son ready to be our perfect and obedient Saviour? Through suffering. In some families, one child gets treated differently to the others. One child gets special treatment. It's often the eldest child, isn't it? I say that as a third child. One child gets special attention, the, the undivided attention, the best opportunities. The other children get second best. God is not like that with his children. God does not withhold the best from any of us. Jesus, our older brother, was perfected gloriously through suffering. Our Father loves his children too much to withhold that from us. Suffering and trial were the training ground for Jesus. We're his brothers and sisters. We're loved by his Father. It will be our training ground too. No doubt all of this raises questions for us, more questions than I can answer now, more questions than I have answers to. We might ask, is there always sin to repent of in my suffering, in my trials? And we need to be clear, the Bible does not encourage us to attribute particular suffering to particular sin. We can't simply say that because there's suffering, there's some sin that has caused it. We need to be very clear on that. After all, Jesus suffered greatly and yet never sinned. We need to be clear that isn't the case. But having said that, it it will never be an unhelpful question to ask. Is there some area of sin that the Lord is showing me more clearly through this? Is there some um, area of my life the Lord seems to be putting his finger on? And if we're conscious of that, and we might be, we confess it to the Lord. We pray for his help to change. Is there an area of obedience that the Spirit is pointing me towards in this? Are there new ways he'd have me trust him in what I'm going through? We think about those things individually in our trials, and we we might think about them together as well. All that we're going through as a church family at the moment, what might the Lord be teaching us, training us for I wonder for myself, did I, did I fully appreciate the privilege of gathering together with the people of God, singing his praises, until that was taken away? I wonder if you've thought about this. Since, since trials are times of training, could it be that this is a real opportunity for us as a church to grow? Not a time when everything is just on pause for a few months but a real opportunity for us to grow if if we submit to it as God's training for us might we even grow more grow deeper grow together far more quickly than we ever would have done in relative comfort and ease as we submit to our father's training that's the first way we endure Secondly, more briefly, here's the second. Verses 12 to 17, we strive for our family's holiness. Strive for our family's holiness. Verse 12 begins, therefore, because of what's gone before, because God is working in your hardships to make you holy, 
Therefore, verse 12, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, keep running. Run the straight path, run to Jesus. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It makes sense, doesn't it? If, if God is working in your trials to bring about the peaceful fruit, then strive for peace. If God is working through your hardships to, so you share in his holiness, then strive for holiness. As we do that, we find we're cutting with the grain. We're pushing on the door that God is already pulling open for us. We're putting out our hands to receive the gift that he's giving to us. God is working to make us share in his holiness. And verse 15 says, we strive like that together. You see that at the start of verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up. It doesn't say see to it that you don't fail to obtain the grace of God. It says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. My spiritual health is my responsibility and it's also your responsibility. We're a family. We're to watch out for one another. And that is particularly hard at the moment, isn't it? It was hard enough. It was complicated enough to see each other last week. It's trickier this week. But we need to do it. We need to find ways to do it because we fight our sin less well when we fight it on our own. Last week, we saw that Hebrews 12 verse 2 describes, speaks of sin which clings so closely. We find it so hard to see, find it so hard to recognize in our own lives. We're oblivious to it sometimes. And that's why it's so good, such good news that we're in it together, that we're a family striving for holiness together. If you get to know me well, you will easily be able to see sin in my life that I'm oblivious to, maybe that I'm willfully blind to. And I need your help to see that and to lovingly point it out to me and to help me to change. In particular, the sin in view in verses 15 to 17 at the end of this passage is the sin of idolatry. The sin we might easily be blind to is the sin of something but God capturing our hearts. That's why Esau is used as a warning to us in verse 16. We meet Esau in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament. He's the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. He's the elder son, the heir of all those great promises to Abraham, that through Abraham's family, God would bless the world. That is Esau's inheritance by right. And perhaps you know the story. Esau comes home one day. He's hungry after a day's hunting. And his younger brother offers him a deal. He says, you can have a bowl of the stew that I'm cooking in exchange for your birthright. In effect, a takeaway meal in exchange for the most significant promises in the world. As bad deals go, it's pretty hard to top. Ronald Wayne was one of the founders of the Apple Computer Company in 1976. Twelve days later, he sold his 10% share in the business for $800. A few weeks ago, Apple became the first company in history to be valued at $2 trillion. A 10% stake today would net you something in the order of £170 billion 
in your current account. Sometimes a cheap deal in the present has a huge cost later. Hebrews urges us not to make the same mistake as Christians. And when we go through hard times as Christians, perhaps especially when we go through hard times because we're Christians, facing the awkwardness in the family with those who don't know the Lord, the ridicule we get from colleagues, from friends, for our faith, perhaps the struggle with that besetting sin that we just can't seem to shift. Maybe it would just be easier to give up altogether to stop standing for Jesus, to quit fighting sin, maybe to indulge it. But ultimately, to to do that definitively would be to make a deal like Esau, to exchange our precious inheritance for a bit of comfort in the here and now, to throw away eternity for the sake of comfort and ease. But that choice is all the more tempting, isn't it, when life is hard, And the prospect of immediate comfort feels very attractive. Left to itself, that desire might easily capture my heart and it might capture yours. That's why we're to watch out for one another. Do you have people who know you well enough to be able to do that for you? Perhaps another way to ask that question. Are there people in church who know the sort of sins that you're struggling with at the moment? Do we have Christian friendships like that where we can help one another strive for holiness together? Some of us here tonight will be grateful that we have friendships like that. They've sustained us over the past weeks and months. They've been an encouragement and a blessing and we need to do everything we can to keep them going, not just to let them fizzle out. Some of us, I guess, don't and won't have friendships like that, ways of supporting one another. And can I encourage you, if that's you, to to resolve to do something about that today, why not speak to a member of the staff on your way out? We'd love to connect you with others who'd be able to support you. Many people find a small group, a huge support in doing that. We'd love you to join us on Zoom um, in a little bit because we pray for one another. This matters because we need one another. We strive for our family's holiness together, not alone. We live in testing times. We feel that. How do we keep going? We have a father. We submit to his training. He loves us too much to let any trial go to waste. We have a family. We strive for holiness together. We help one another. And we have an older brother, Jesus himself. We consider him. And his nail-scarred hands testify to us that with God as our Father, even the deepest of suffering can produce the sweetest of fruit. Let's pray and entrust ourselves to our Father. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that through Jesus you adopt us into your family. 
You love us as your children. We're so grateful that you are 100% committed to transforming us into Jesus' likeness. And we pray that as you do that, in all the ups and downs of life, in whatever this week holds for us, we pray we would trust you. And we pray that together we would help one another as we consider Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.